We're going to be back in our study part three of Simpletons We Once Were, Tumbletons We Now Are. And this is all based in the scriptures where we've been in First Kings, Solomon having spent right now just his full vital energies to make the vision happen, employing people from all over the kingdom to build this structure that would honor God. And it actually speaks of everything that we know of the Lord presently. Everything that God did in the sacrificial system in order to approach God in faith always spoke of his redemptive heart for man, his glory, his majesty, his mystery, his power, the attributes that have defined him, not as a God to be feared in the sense of what other nations would have to be fearful of, but to be revered and to have a relationship with God and to desire hungering and thirsting for a relationship with God. The way we have it in our generation because of the cross can't even compare to what before the cross, God's sacrifice on it was required to show intention and to encourage motivation. There was heavy, heavy burdens that were carried by people that could only be relieved by a highly functional and methodical system of worshiping God and presenting the very best of what you had all the time. I don't think we would have been able to keep up personally, but there's good news about that. God said as well to them, you can't keep up with me, can't touch this. As one song said back in the 80s, the only way we touch God is through ultimately the reaching out and being apprehended by his hand and through his son, Jesus Christ. And now we touch God and he wants to touch us. So we're going to pick this up where we left off. There were in our teachings, though, two areas that we did focus on. One, Solomon was presenting the temple. And so therefore, in what has been documented, we learned about the house of God. And secondly, where we left off last week was the house of of testimony. It would be a place that would resonate both in what would be heard by the singers, by the prayers of people, the conduct of business in the priesthood. It would be a testimony, the things that were ultimately in every station of every perimeter within the temple proper and the Holy of Holies would speak of God. And so it was a house of testimony. It was to put the people in remembrance of what God had done so greatly for them and why he was such an awesome and great God. And remember that part of this too was not only visual for it was splendid. Indeed, probably to rival, if not exceed anything that history has recorded as the seven wonders of the world. Nothing would have been comparative to it, even though the dustbin of history swept it away. And partly that was because of what was behavioral, there was a judgment upon Israel. 
But what we do know is that in this time, it was extraordinary. The celebration that was indulged in, the offerings that would be on the altar of sacrifice were to you and I contemporarily like a big giant barbecue. It was all for God, and yet we are going to see the generosity of God both towards the priesthood as well as to the public. It was for everyone. So it was majestic, and it was awesome. Where we're at now, though, picking it up where we left off, which is going to be just at about, um, I'm going to recap on verse 29, but from here forward, this is where we see a house of prayer. All of this was speaking of house of God, house of testimony, house of prayer. And we indulged as a church on Thursday from 6.30 in the morning until 7.38 at night. We were a house of prayer. That was the emphasis all day. We had minstrels on the hour and then a 30-minute refrain and then another minstrel coming in to sing songs. We did that all day. House of prayer. Who was here? God was here and any that so desired. It doesn't matter per se whether or not you were here. I'm letting you know that we were here and it was such a privilege to know that that's what our focus was, just a time of prayer. See, if it's ever about making someone feel lesser on an activity in which the greatness of God is being extolled, that isn't it. You need to know that there's a team. You're part of a team. And so that team that came out here were worship leaders and people that sat for that 30-minute 30 30 uh, interlude between the next worship team. And it was just wonderful. It really was. People came and went. And that's important to what's being now shared in the scriptures. Let's go ahead and read it. Picking up in 29 that your eyes may be opened towards this temple night and day toward the place of which you said my name shall be there, that you may hear the prayer which your servant makes towards this place. And so that's such a great verse to anchor what ought to be our chief motivation is that we want to connect with the Lord and through prayer and not disbelieving for one moment that he has missed one word of our heart's cry, one single enunciated letter of any word that comes from your mouth that he misses any of it. Some of you can recognize that pastorally or teaching-wise, there are times in which as I speak of the Lord, I just kind of lose it. I'm not typically that kind of sensitive of a person, but when I do talk about the things of God, I just kind of, I can feel it. I have to just kind of, Lord, just give me some strength here. And I don't have an answer for you. My thoughts are is that I'm just deeply touched in talking about the Lord. I would prefer that it's machismo and, man, he's like a rock but I just kind of puddle up sometimes. And that's just the way it is. Prayer does that, softens us. 
It also challenges us to believe in God in a manner in which only a trial or test can motivate us to be in the grip of God. And so Solomon, as he's right now, and he is, he's speaking, as this is being spoken, he's very aware of the technicalities of his life. It's changed. He's no longer that simple young adult under the tutelage of his father David with also all of the incriminating eyes of his older brothers upon him, let alone an entire kingdom, thinking, who's going to be the next guy? It couldn't be him, could it? Whippersnapper? He has no experience. David's wheezing, and Solomon's going to be in the placement in advance of his brothers. Solomon was very aware that apart from God and the fact that his father had made great efforts to secure him because that's what the Lord said he would do, would bring Solomon to reign in his father's stead. He knows that prayer is essential. And so as we move through component parts of this, there are at least seven things that he's going to address. We'll want to pay attention to them. They're actually very sobering, very contemporary. So he says, oh, that your eyes might be upon this place, hearing the prayers of your people. I just think that's an awesome verse. You may hear the supplications of your servant and of your people, Israel, verse 30. When they pray towards this place here in heaven, your dwelling place, and when you hear, forgive. The reason that forgiveness is mentioned with frequency here is because it was a system that they needed to have the validation of their forgiveness through. We don't have a system. We have a Savior. We know very well in the course of a week, if not each minute of every day, our failures and shortcomings. And quite to, I would believe, the illusion or delusion that some of us have, there's no Peter up there with his laptop or iPad or even parchment taking inventory of that. That's been settled. The inventory was necessary under the sacrificial system. Everything checked off on what you needed to do. When Jesus went to the cross, those things which would be pending against us were completely nailed there. And no indictment stands against us. So our motivation is that we want, out of love and devotion, to appear before God aware of our frailties, our failures, but also very aware that the judgment was passed onto Jesus and therefore we can walk without condemnation. It's a liberty. Solomon continues to move forward in this, that we might be forgiven. In verse 31, when anyone sins against his neighbor and is forced to take an oath and comes and takes an oath, before your altar in this temple, then here in heaven and act and judge your servants, condemning the wicked, bringing his way on his own head and justifying the righteous by giving him according to his righteousness. This was an announcement of jurisprudence in which 
there were accusations that people had to stand up against and ultimately present themselves before. But at times the accusations required for appeasement a vow, which may have come as a result of fear, not necessarily admission of guilt. So there's a lot of stuff that relates to the tensions of people getting along. You know, the Lord wants us to get along. And by the way, if you read the headline news, it doesn't look like we're doing too well at that, does it? But you know what? It's just dressed differently right now. There's always been tensions between people, and there are tensions even in the area of politics, and especially in the areas of domestics. We know one of the greatest tensions right now that we do want God to hear, and we want to remain strong in is for the life of the unborn. It's a life just hasn't been born, moved through the portal of a mother's womb into the arms that she has waiting for him, for her, him, her, waiting. And so when you see the kind of activity that's going on, and it's only politically motivated, but it has behind it dark spiritual force, you realize how essential it is for we as a body of believers to ask that God's ears remain tender towards his place. And that we, students of the word, are those who trust him, even according to the times. They're not necessarily going to get better, but redemptively, they may be indeed be perfected in which there is an admission by adjudicators saying, we got it wrong. In 1973, we got it wrong. Men and women have that wrong. But we're going to change it. We're not going to live in a precedent of ignorance, arrogance, evil, when we know what the data says. We cannot justify. That's really where we're at. And so important is it? It's interesting because though the individual wasn't named, but it said leaderships of faith. So we know there's pastors, famous pastors, that would be saying what you are hearing on the other side of it in defense of abortion. And now what appears to be contention, a malicious attempt to disrupt services in faith before God for the purpose of standing justified in what essentially is the murder of the unborn. And you go, how could that be? How could there be such irreverence? It's because they do not know God as we know God. Their hearts haven't been broken. Their pride has spoken. Every single person that comes against the Lord for whatever reason or whatever justification their hearts have not been broken. Solomon will wrestle in a season or two of having his heart hardened and no longer able to be broken until he's a much older man. But how important it is that in these words right now, the focus is on the essential need for prayer. And don't apologize for how you are praying unless it's contrary to the word of God and to the heart of God, 
you stand firm in being able to pray. Lord, that your ear might be attentive. Protect the churches right now. I believe there will be attacks against them. I was wondering if we were going to get picketed today. But then I saw our happy people passing out bullets to go, not today, that's awesome. And we still would have handled it well. We wouldn't have been yelling back. We wouldn't have been going to get our fishing poles, our weapons of choice. We would have come in here and conducted worship. And so in this area of the neighbors, there would be an ear attentive on how to reconcile. The Lord would say, when you're going to court and basically with your neighbor, make certain that you do your best to reconcile before you get to an adjudicator. If you have it within your means to be able to reconcile to your brother, that's what you're to do. It's the right thing to do. It stops basically um, incivility from progressing any further. And everybody's required to do it. Have you ever had to apologize to anybody over anything? And you thought, well, it's not such a big deal, but it doesn't go away, and it seems to fester, and it seems to eventually just lead to no accomplishment whatsoever, except a line that's drawn. And sometimes it's not addressed in the moment. You've you got to work through things. But see, the Lord doesn't want us to behave in a manner in which the world behaves in incivility, justifying their temperament based on their attitude in politics. It has no place. One of the best examples that we have towards corruption in politics is how we behave in spite of how they're choosing to behave. But in essence, that's what's being said. And it's always best to get that jump on it. I've appreciated, and it's very interesting. Uh, Carl and I are good friends. We go back. We go back 30 years, I think. So if you guys met Carl yesterday, and you should have, we go back 30 years. But there was an incident that divided us extremely in the past 15 years. He was adamant on a perspective. I was adamant on a perspective. And we had one of those conversations that closed off with a click. I'm, it wasn't really a click. It was more like a press, like a cell phone press. But back in the days, it was called click. We just hung up on each other. And so through the years, we maintained a friendship. But we never forgot the incident per se. We just had a friendship. And I will tell you simply this, the best thing that I never did was send a letter to him declaring my heart on the incident in which such great offense was. Never sent the letter. Oh, I penned it. It was more like an orchestral symphony of dark music with righteous indignation on it. It was going to be my magnum opus. I don't even know what it means. It just sounds like, yeah, it's going to be my song of songs. And so I withheld it 
And as we were reminiscing and as he was just celebrating the work being done here, by the way, he, he came in as a pastor who's pastored in Florence longer than I have here, and he celebrated this work. He said how refreshing it is to come through the doors and just have that stimuli inarguably of God's presence here, the fellowship of the brothers, how he feels both loved and enjoined with them. But there's something about as he came in this place measured with something that, again, he knows well, his place in Florence. And he said, the Lord's with you guys. It's so awesome. But getting back to it, in our sentiment and so forth and getting ready to huggy huggy and send him off in prayer, this one little inclination through, I don't know, just some word, and he goes, oh. We were talking about it in very vague terms. He goes, oh. I said, Carl, you know as well as I do, that's over. Yeah, it's over. It's over. Because in that time, that it happened, it was just beginning. And so two men cho chose to go to their corners and years passed. It wasn't that we didn't try. Years passed in which ultimately something came to light. And what came to light was a vindication. And the most important vindication is that the Lord kept us together in spite of it. It was awesome. This is what, in essence, may have application to where you're at. It's a good thing to be able to Chew on. It's a good thing to be able to walk in. The people, verse 33, your people, Israel, are defeated before an enemy because they have sinned against you. And when they turn back to you and confess your name and pray, make supplications to you in this temple, then hear in heaven and forgive the sin of your people, Israel, and bring them back to the land which you gave to their fathers. This was prophetic. Indeed, they would be taken captive by their enemies. They've been restored because of God's faithfulness, but certainly not because they've got it all together at all. But as Solomon moves through this house of prayer, He's moving in the directive right now of pointing out what inevitably are consequences when a nation forsakes the God that they are celebrating right now. See, we have to be able to move from the celebratory, reverent acts of both conducting church, and it has to translate ultimately when we go out there. It has to translate when we make our votes. You know, by even just saying this, whoever snoops on these kinds of things, like, he was talking about voting. It sounds like he's rallying the troops, the church, to do some voting manipulation. Did you realize that we were very close to not even being able to voice what the scriptures would say ought to be voiced in the times of voting? That happened under Lyndon Johnson. And just this past year, when Trump was in presidency, when the presidency was under his authority, they moved to completely void Lyndon Johnson's, uh, I don't know what the act was called, but it was basically suppression of the church voice. 
concerning politics in an election year. You can't talk about it. That's over. We can talk about any issues that scripturally can be anchored here. We can talk about moral issues, and they ought to be talked about. They never should have been suppressed. So let alone just what liberties we have now in times that the church definitely needs to have. But this indicates defeat will happen. When a nation moves contrary to the will and work of God, defeat is inevitable. Our last big victory, united globally, was during World War II. I don't know what happened between World War II and Korea. I know my father was involved in three of those conflicts, two, Korea and Vietnam. And two brothers were as well. And a third brother whom you've met, Iraq. Those are not necessarily victorious wars from Korea to the present. They've been unending battles. And you have to ask yourself, why? If the purpose of a war, at least from one perspective, is to unsettle an enemy that doesn't care about its people or any other people group, why does it take so long to win them without the grievous consequences that happen when they never end? The Lord may have an answer here. It's because your nation, their nation, all nations have rejected me. You're seeking victory. For some, I will grant it. But if not, you'll have nothing to claim. And it'll never get better. So Solomon was aware that the victories that his father had in defending Jerusalem was completely related to him being targeted to the will of God. And if he was wrong, both in his attitude, if he was wrong in getting the battle plan, if you would, by just one degree off, he would get beaten. His men would suffer. And so this is one of the concerns that Solomon voices right now. The first, as we left, justice. That you can go with certainty to the house of God and receive reasonable and fair adjudication for who you are as a child of God. Two, be mindful. You will get defeated if your battle is not God's battle. The battle belongs to the Lord. But battle plans that can be foolish, God will permit to be in place. That's the second thing. The third is mentioned here, and we can relate to this for sure. 35, when the heavens are shut up and there is no rain because they have sinned against you, when they pray toward this place and confess your name and turn from their sin because you afflict them, then hear in heaven and forgive the sin of your servants, your people Israel, that you may teach them the good way in which they should walk and send rain on your land, which you have given to your people as an inheritance. So as the worship was ascending today, did you hear the rain? It was just smacking down on the roof and splashing off of the macadam out there and windshields. And I must admit that at times during the rains, when it comes 
when I'm quite not in the moment for it, I have to put my heart in check. Because there are places in this country and around the world that would go to war to get the rain that we get. What's being said here, and I think it's to take notice of, is that our droughts, as severe as they are, may be a mark in certain areas as to what activities are going on and what aren't. But I find this to be true, and it's important to say this. Even where a church is located in which God's heart is beating and people are accomplishing great things, that church will be permitted in that season of drought to speak the truth to those who are indeed in need of living water. California has, I mean, I don't even know if they've got any water at all left. The reservoirs are completely being drained. And I wonder if Mr. Gavin Newsom has ever wondered once whether or not it could be related to policies that have been in effect and continue to be corrupted in terms of liberal philosophy. It's not a governing state that honors the Lord spiritually in the estate that he has given to the people of California. Praise the Lord for the Christians that have hung out there and stay diligent to pray. Praise the Lord for that. Justified in exoduses, but praise the Lord for a community of believers say, this is so tough, so hard, and so unnecessary. Our state needs to repent. Our state needs to repent too. Every state in this nation, if they are not walking with God and seeing things his way, needs to repent. Turn from your wicked ways. Check out the weather conditions. How's it going in your part of the land? Some people say, well, no, weather conditions are, you know, they vary. They do vary, but I'm saying that what if God says, I'm just giving you a little reminder. They vary, but the degree they vary is totally by my authority. And there are people that lose their lives in seasons in which both there is drought and both storms. So we can't blame God. It does happen, but the scriptures are telling us that when these events, maybe you ought to check in with God. Maybe we ought to be careful where we check the names on the ballots. Maybe we ought to be ones who are praying for the next person that's touched by the Lord to be raised up in the capacity of community government, legislatures. The school system certainly can use godly parents in there. When I was there, I was not a part of hostile parental groups promoting liberal agendas. They were conservative. They wanted to let us know as teachers that they had our backs and they appreciated everything that we were doing to stay true morally and ethically to the charge we had in managing the classrooms that we oversaw. That's not so true these days. It's a war out there. The idea here is repentance. As he continues to move from this, he cites, which kind of can be paired up with this, the calamities that are both natural. When there's a famine in verse 37 in land, pestilence or blight or mildew, locusts or grasshoppers, 
when their enemy besieges them in the land of their cities, whatever plague or whatever sickness there is, whatever prayer, whatever supplication is made, verse 38, by anyone or by all your people Israel, when each one knows the plague of his own heart and spreads out his hands towards this temple, then hear in heaven your dwelling place and forgive and act and give to everyone according to all his ways, whose heart you know, for you know the hearts of all the sons of men. This is actually preemptive. God's saying, hey, if you know the plague that's in your heart and you come to me on that issue, I'll deal with it fairly right then, right there. You'll be an example. Because our hearts do get plagued, and they get plagued by manifestations of sin, both either that we have committed knowingly or that we've stumbled upon unwittingly. But it is a discipline. It's kind of like you can drive your car with confidence and never check the oil, never get it changed, but there's a day in which you didn't, and it's going to have a calamitous effect on whether that automobile will roll again. Most of us, that we started off young and we were clueless about oil change necessity, lost cars to what that did to the engine. In the same context, the Lord is saying, there are some things that are both a part of the natural realm that will be a signal of the spiritual realm. I was one time, <laughs> I wasn't Jonah. I don't believe I was Jonah, but I was somebody that was moving contrary to the Lord's will. And it was in Arizona. I was visiting my brother on an army base, my twin. So he was at work. He gave me an assignment to mow the lawn. The night before, I had wrestled with the Lord over an issue. The issue was returning to school. After I had left school, I got a call to return to school, not to public school, to private school. I didn't want to have anything to do with it. And I regretted actually making a phone call indicating I'd be interested. They tracked me down to Arizona. And as I had talked to the Lord the night before, beautiful devotional exchange with him. And I sensed that he was pressing me to make an affirmative yes, I will come back in two weeks, and I'll teach at your school. Started up that lawnmower. I said, I'm not going. I can't go back. I've got things to do for God. <laughs> but the problem was is that the one thing that he wanted me to do, I said, I won't do. And he sent a swarm of mosquitoes, no seeing bugs. I couldn't even see them. I was hit with such a plague so fast I was being eaten alive while pushing this lawnmower. And I literally had to flee. I was screaming like a girl, whatever that sounds like. <laughs> oh, don't be offended, woman. We can scream like girls too. But I just was eaten. It was so notorious. I was breaking out in welts. I jumped into a shower in my clothes with the cold water just hitting me. The Lord was making me aware that the plague in my heart he would set upon me by literally insects that would eat me alive. And so I'm scratching in the shower, and I'm just, if I said, Lord, that's fine. That's fine. I'll return. I will return. 
can I feel better now? No, you'll feel better, but not just now. I want you to really feel what it is that I want you to do, and it's costly when you disobey. So welts, my face swelled up. My brother came back, just laughed at me, and I told him my spiritual lesson. I ended up writing a song the very next day. I'm not in the dark, for the scales have fallen from my eyes to see. And it goes on beyond that, but I confess through song. I'm not in the dark anymore. I can see. And so within two days, I'm driving up the I-5 and ultimately surrendering my body in another way <laughs> to a private school. It was more like hell incarnate on earth. Because God wanted me to go there and to stand before a young assembly of Christians fighting in their faith and wanting to take on an innocent teacher <laughs> and to see if my faith could be tested in nine months as to whether I would stay. When I weighed out the pestilence, I said, I'm not going to do that one again, so I'll get through this. Pestilence can work to bring a people to ultimately the presence of God as they call upon him when you realize the plague that's in your heart and you confess it. That's important to know. And so it moves on from the famine, and that was in verse 37, the natural calamities. And in closing right now, I'm going to pick it up just quickly from where I left off, whatever prayer, whatever supplication is made for anyone or by all your people, Israel, when each one knows the plague of his own heart and spreads out his hands toward this temple and here in heaven, your dwelling place and forgive and act and give to everyone according to all his ways whose heart you know. For you alone know the hearts of all the sons of men that they may fear you all the days that they live in the land which you gave to our fathers. Verse 41, Moreover, concerning a foreigner who is not yet of your people Israel, but has come from a far country for your name's sake, for they will hear of your great name and your strong hand and your outstretched arm when he comes and prays towards this temple here in heaven your dwelling place and do according to all for which the foreigner calls to you that all the peoples of the earth may know that your name and fear you as do your people Israel and that they may know that this temple which I have built is called by your name and so when your people go out to battle against their enemy this is now speaking of the contrast between the first of disobedience but not to neglect right now hopping over this God wants us to be a light. When people come in here and we call them visitors, to them, they feel like foreigners. They haven't been here before. Some of them may know you. Some of them may be clueless about you. How does your light shine? How does the right hand of fellowship work, especially where we're still, many of us, binding ourselves, fist bumping? Hi. Uh, how does that work? Because God says that's important in a house of prayer is to have this connection with the foreigner who really God sent, I want them as family. You have the ability to make them as family, but they're going to feel like a foreigner 
touch them, be willing to pray for them, host them with a smile, comfort them with kindness, get them a cup of coffee. It's free. What is that to you if you deliver that to them upon request? When the people go out to battle against their enemies, wherever you send them, when they pray to the Lord toward the city which you have chosen and the temple which I have built for your name, then hear in heaven their prayer and their supplication and maintain their cause. We'll close there. That's an important verse. Because before we can involve ourselves in battles that the Lord says, I don't want you involved in that. But notice this one. This one says that this battle has been chosen. The Lord towards the city, which you have chosen, and the temple which you have built, which has been built by your name, then here in heaven. This is something in which we can honestly say, this is a cause that the Lord has endorsed. It's warfare that he says you're going to win, and I'm going to hear from you concerning the strategy that will be in place for you. Solomon cites another two of those. We're closing, though, right now because we have an opportunity to season all of this in our closing worship song. It's important to do that. We have scriptures that I also want to read just prior to the band coming up. And so as I do that, I'll close in prayer. And so if the worship team can come up here right now, Let's return on our bulletins to Revelation 2, verses 12 through 17. This is our public reading. This is what we've done in the beginning. We're doing it now towards the close. And then when we're through with this, we'll go ahead and pray the band in to close us off in song. And I'll just ask you to stand so you can enjoy that. Let's read Revelation 2, verses 12 through 17, and beginning on the church, Pergamos. And to the angel of the church in Pergamos write, These things says he who has the sharp two-edged sword, I know your works and where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, and you hold fast to my name, and did not deny my faith, even in the days in which Adipas was my faithful martyr, who was killed among you, where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you, because you have those who hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed to idols, and to commit sexual immorality. Thus you also have those who hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which things I hate. Repent, or else I will come to you quickly and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches, to him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna to eat, and I will give him a white stone, and on the stone a new name written, which no one knows except him who receives it. 